Okay, and we're going to start getting rolling here. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another Baywa RE Solar Town Hall. I'm Tom Miller, Marketing Director here at Baywa RE Solar Systems, and today we're talking about financing, commercial financing, residential financing. We'll talk about the latest trends. We'll get analysis from our guests. We'll talk about various financing options, the pros and cons, what approaches to take when working with a financier, how to develop projects that will pencil, and a lot more. And now let's get to our panelists. So first up, we have Brian White. He's a solar analyst at Wood Mac McKenzie Power and Renewables. Welcome, Brian. It's, I think, his like third or fourth time on the Solar Town Hall. Uh, great to have you back. Also from Wood Mac is principal analyst Michelle Davis. Welcome back to her uh, for the Solar Town Hall. We also have Greg Fisher. He's the Senior Director of Business Development at Goodleap. Welcome back, Greg. Great to see you. We've got Rachel Shapira, our Director of uh, Residential Finance at Baywa. Thanks for joining, Rachel. Great to have you back. Guillaume Casanova, he's our Director of Commercial Solutions. Welcome back, Guillaume. And last but not least, joining us for the first time, we have Brad Farrell. He's the CEO um, of what was Enable Energy and recently rebranded uh, officially as Baywa RE Power Solutions. Congratulations, Brad. Welcome to the show. So we've got quite a few of you on the panel today. I'm hoping for a lively discussion. So I want to start by laying some groundwork. I'm going to go to Michelle first. Um, as, as we know, the solar industry is growing rapidly. It feels like there's a lot of opportunity out there uh, and now and in the years ahead. But I'd like Michelle to, to give us a commercial lay of the land. Um, what are you tracking uh, when it comes to commercial financing? What are some of the opportunities you're seeing? Sure, thank you, Tom. Um, I'm, I'm happy to be here today. Um, the, to start off uh, for sort of what's ahead for commercial solar in 2020, there were a little over 2.2 gigawatts installed in the United States. And uh, I, I use the term commercial solar to mean sort of any kind of distributed project with a non-residential off-taker. So that also includes community solar. Uh, it's kind of a, an important um, segment of the mm. industry to take into account. Um, for growth that we expect in 2021, we are expecting um, about 17% growth for that segment. If you take community solar and sort of commercial on-site solar separately. Commercial solar is expected to grow a bit faster and community solar is expected to grow a, a bit slower, but it evens out at about 17% growth. And the reason for the sort of big uptick in growth in 2021 is mostly related to the fact that a lot of community solar programs and certain incentives at the state level have sort of coalesced um, this year. And so there's been a lot of pipeline uh, that, that will come online this year as we track those projects and that capacity. You guys all know the usual suspects, the SMART program in Massachusetts, the T-REC program in New Jersey, et cetera, et cetera. Um, as we look a little further down the road for the next several years, we're expecting a little bit more moderate growth, growth in the more like six to 7%. So basically you're looking at somewhere between 2.6 and 2.8 gigawatts of commercial solar coming online every year for the next several years. And of course, logically, there's a little bit of a expected dip in 2024 when the ITC reduces to 10%. Uh, but then things sort of go up from there, expecting that solar continues its uh, declining cost trajectory. And 
of that volume every year, community solar is expected to make up somewhere between like 25 and 35% of that commercial solar volume. Um, so, so both of which are growing at a little bit more moderate pace. And many of you in the, in the audience are probably hearing a lot about enormous solar growth, just like Tom was alluding to, and, and Brian can cover a little bit more of the specifics for residential in a second. Um, but commercial solar, as we're gonna talk about today, especially on the financing side, there can be a number of, of challenges um, to making those projects happen. And so commercial solar has historically been very reliant on state policy and the cadence of those programs and when they allow pipeline to develop and when they allow projects to come online. So we track all of that very closely on a state-by-state -state basis at Woodmac. And 2021 is a big year, followed by a couple, several more moderate years based on the you know, the pace of those programs. That could that could change if policy changes or the ITC is extended or what have you. But that's sort of what it looks like today. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Thanks, Michelle. Brian, let's kick it over to you. Lay of the land, opportunities you're tracking on the residential financing side. Yeah, it's great to be here back with, with you all. Um, so on the residential side of things, uh, we saw about 3.2 gigawatts installed in 2020 for the residential segment in the U.S., we're expecting, forecasting about 19% year-over-year growth for 2021. Um, you know, the, we, we've talked before about the, the demand for, for residential solar in the United States is higher than ever. Um, really coming out of COVID, the industry showed a lot of resilience. And of course, we're still in the pandemic, but uh, companies have really started to find their footing beginning of this year if they hadn't already. So sales volumes are really returning back to normal levels um, activities really picking up. I think the biggest question here is how much are sales outpacing installations and how installers can manage their project pipelines. Um, and we're not necessarily going to talk about that today a whole lot, but um, as it relates to financing, but what we're really trying to think of is how many of these sales get actually uh, completed on the ground and, and make their way into installation and interconnection. Um, and so we're seeing and hearing a lot about supply chain constraints that you folks are all experiencing right now when it comes to uh, panels, inverters, battery storage, particularly. Uh, so we're, we're tracking that very closely and, and how do we wanna incorporate that into our outlook. But regardless of that, you know, the, the, growth, out, the growth outlook looks very strong. Um, if you think about uh, the fi different financing segments, whether it's uh, loans versus third-party ownership, we're also um, tracking that pretty closely as well. We're seeing, uh, in 2020, about a quarter of, pro of all residential projects were third-party owned through a PPA or a lease. We expect that to um, decrease ever so slightly into 2021 this year. Um, and with that, we're seeing, uh, I mentioned 19% growth for the overall industry. If you benchmark that versus uh, solar loans versus uh, TPO, um, we expect the TPO segment to grow about 14%. Um, so a little bit under the market rate while loans are going to grow 30% um, for, for this year. So we'll talk a little bit more about that and, and uh, financing preferences and options for installers today in the panel. Um, but that's sort of how we're thinking about things today. Awesome. Thanks, Brian and Michelle. Um, anyone else on the panel want to weigh in and you know talk about the market, flesh out any opportunities you're seeing? Is now a great time for residential solar contractors to, to get into commercial? You know, what about the commercial developer thinking about their next next project? Is uh, is now a good time? Guillaume, I see your hands up. You want to take it? 
my virtual hand is up. Mm-hmm. The other ones were down. But yeah, I think I think I wanted to just uh, touch a little bit on what Brian said. He he talked about challenges in the sh- supply chain while we're forecasting a lot of growth. And I think over the summer we're starting to see some installers that are having a hard time finding humans, like actual bodies, to do installations. Right. Um, so not only we have difficulties on getting the panels over here because of all the many challenges that the solar industry has just been accustomed to with the solar coasters. But this year in particular, it's really hard to find labor and that, that causes delays and projects to slip and their timelines to potentially move to 2022. And, and it started really June, July is when we started to see it ourselves and, and we're one step removed, right? So that means the installers probably started to see that a month, a month and a half ago. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Any other thoughts there, Brad? You got your hand up. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think we're definitely seeing a one to two quarter slip overall from a variety of reasons. Uh, as Guillaume pointed out, labor is a huge issue right now uh, across the country. Uh, it's not specific to one region. Um, additionally, product supply um, delays there. Um, and then general processing times, uh, specific to California, um, you know, upgrade lead times are, are getting out on larger commercial systems 18 to 24 months. So you could have stranded capital sitting in a project um, where you're tied to a PTO milestone um, and you've got to be very conscientious of that going into a project specifically on the commercial side because it's a different animal than the residential marketplace. Mm-hmm. Awesome. I would add one other threat is um, there are a number of EPCs who have set pricing with their originators that don't allow, or that kind of don't build for the very variation where equipment prices go up because prices have been going down for so many years. We are expecting prices to start going up on a number of components. And I think a number of EPCs who have not factored in the possibility of prices going up into their contracts with originators are going to find themselves in a like tight financial mm-hmm. pinch. Mm-hmm. Guillaume, you want to build on that? Yeah, I think I think Rachel is is very right. Like there are installers that have experienced a thirty-five cents per watt cost increase on the construction of their carport just to steel and aluminum pricing going up, and that makes their project in the red, right? And so that's not that's not feasible for them. So that's a big issue. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'd add, Tom, just kind of a a bow on the residential side. What's interesting is um, we've kind of been riding the good time wave for the last four or five years. Mm -hmm. Um, Product availability, pricing, the residential segment has actually become, the process become more segmented. So the advent of sales organizations and and EPCs and maybe project management is in-house, but installations are outhouse. our, our concern and we're watching closely are the newer entrants or the companies that were sales organizations for four years that have become an EPC in the last 12 to 18 months. Um, they've never known product constraints. They've never known uh, human capital uh, constraints. Um, and, you know, it's uh, the established players um, to scale and to kind of manage through these are probably in a better position. Uh, the folks that went from 15 to 30 installations a month, and now they're trying to figure out how they, they keep up with that. Um, it, it is a big concern. And I think because that segmentation I mentioned, you know, we are seeing trends in where sales organizations are trying to shift their alliances to those companies that actually can keep up uh, with the demand. Uh, and that continues to provide downstream pressures on, on the space. 
Mm -hmm. Okay. Thanks, everybody. Um, let's move to our first audience question. And this was, I was going to toss this to Hans, but I think Michelle, I'm going to, I'm going to throw this over to you. It's really more of a statement, and it's small, medium, commercial, never has viable financing options, period. So what's your reaction to that? Why do you think this audience member has that takeaway? Have, have things changed? Um, things move pretty slowly in commercial solar. So uh, probably as of six months ago, no. Maybe as of a few years ago, probably. Um, but I definitely witnessed the the lack of, of being able to tap into the small and medium commercial segment as being probably one of the biggest pain points for the commercial solar industry. Uh, there is a sort of one of the frequent themes of some of my presentations will be that we have a massive addressable market. It's like, you know, yep. dozens and dozens of gigawatts. Mm -hmm. the, the problem is tapping into it because a, a lot of those potential megawatts are smaller systems, stuff that's less than 500 kilowatts. Um, those types of projects just don't have the scale and um, uh, sort of the transaction sizes that can support some of the transaction costs involved mm. in commercial solar. Um, and while there is a lot of, I think, capital that wants to deploy in the solar industry, there's often a bit of a mismatch between what that capital is looking for and the reality on the ground of what a lot of these projects are made up of. And the small and medium businesses or, or smaller projects um, have to have exactly the right types of characteristics in order to, uh, to get any kind of PPA financing from some of these capital providers. Um, so the sort of overlap between those two spaces is still quite narrow and it's, it's highly, highly fought over. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm, while things do move slowly in the commercial solar industry, I think a real area of focus for, for this industry to tap into that addressable market more would be things like lowering transaction costs and having a, a better alignment between what financiers are looking for in some of these projects, maybe deal sizes that can be aggregated. There are some folks that are working on this, but it's, uh, it's still very slow going. Mm -hmm. Any other thoughts out there? Small, medium, commercial never has good financing options. Period. Yeah, it never it never does. I mean, I, I would I would I would push people towards um, traditional bank financing in small commercial systems with interest rates the way they are today. Um, businesses doing well for the most part. Um, the economic returns are there at the price points uh, in today's marketplace. That that this is an extremely attractive opportunity uh, to own solar. And so from from our Absolutely. standpoint. We're, we're, in the, we're in the commercial space that really focuses on the medium to large scale commercial and small utility, but we get daily opportunities in the small, small space. So say 250 kilowatts and below. Mm -hmm. And you know, we will take them on if it's a repeatable footprint client, if it's a gas station that has 10 locations or something like that. But the, but the problem is, as has been pointed out, is that nobody is focused specifically on that market successfully in any scale that has low transactional cost structures, that has an easy rinse and repeat process. 
So it's better off just going to their bank and saying, hey, you know, Wells Fargo or B of A or whomever, who's now familiar with this type of asset lending to say, I would like to invest $300,000 in my business and here are the economics. And the bank says, that's great. And, and we'll almost loan you 80% LTV. I mean, it's, it's crazy what's, what's available out there. It just takes an extra layer of work because mm-hmm. in a typical TPO third-party ownership model, uh, you know, it's it's theoretically a platform that you can just walk into and, and put the inputs in and you get an output. It doesn't always work that way, but um, it's a little bit more involved from a banking perspective uh, for for the business. But I, I would definitely lend, uh, lean, lean towards that if you're interested in filling um, your customers' opportunities because um, it, it's 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 the best avenue for them economically, for sure. Mm-hmm. Awesome. And I want to continue to talk about that transition between these small commercial projects, potentially larger stuff. Uh, Guillaume, I saw your hands raised, but real quick, we've got a question for uh, on Michelle's comment from Claire. Uh, is the one to two quarter delay Greg mentioned for Resi or CNI only? Greg, Michelle? I think when I think it was Guillaume who mentioned this, uh, oh, the, the del- yeah, it was, it was, I think, I, probably for commercial. Okay. Yeah, actually, it was Guillaume and then me. I yeah, said yeah, one yeah, to two yeah. quarters. Yeah, yeah. There, you go. Was, there you go. We're was, seeing the slippage. Hot potato to bread. Yeah, okay. I, I would say Resi. I, I'm not seeing and hearing a lot of delays. We do participate in one area of the country in residential. Um, and so, you know, slippages are more from uh, battery supply. That's a real pain point in the resi space right now, um, depending upon your vendor selection. Uh, but on the commercial, uh, my my references from my experience in that, you know, whether it's COVID related, whether it's permit related, whether it's utility uh, processing related, things are just slowing down the process right now. And we're seeing slippage of projects, not that they're going away, just that they're pushing the timeline out a little bit longer. Mm-hmm. I. I will say that I talked to residential installers around the country who are seeing longer times to permit um, and longer times to interconnection. Depends on it varies regionally, but a lot of building departments are definitely slower than they used to be still post-COVID, uh, you know, in COVID world. Mm-hmm. Well, and it also sort of depends on the market you're talking about. Like in uh, Massachusetts is sort of my top example of like some projects have been delayed like more than a year because of the various transmission and interconnection issues at the policy level in that state. So very geographically dependent. Great. Um, I want to move into a question about, you know, we're, we're talking about some challenges for resi installers to move into commercial projects. Um, Brian, I'm wondering if you have any thoughts on that. And then I do want to ask you just specifically about PPAs and those interested uh, in moving into that space, what they need to know. But Brian, any any thoughts on this, these challenges for the installers looking to move more into the commercial space? Um, any thoughts? Yeah, I'll, I'll probably keep my thoughts brief here because most of the time when I'm talking to residential players, um, they're very focused on the demand that exists in that space. Uh, I don't often hear from installers that are looking into small commercial. Um, I know there's a handful of, of companies that we're talking to on a regular basis where they do a handful of commercial deals um, once in a while uh, that are that more more so look like residential projects due to their size and you know the the uh, outlay um, how the building looks like it's just a very simple rooftop installation so for all intents and purposes it looks like a residential installation there um, mm-hmm. but I think that's actually becoming a little less common for some of the companies we're talking to they 
just seen the demand in Resi really pick up and they're, they've kind of turned their efforts there. Um, mm -hmm. Not to say that that's not happening, but it's not typically think, uh, something that's coming up in the conversations that I'm having. Okay. Guillaume, I did want to go to you, but now that I'm thinking about it, Brad, I'd like to come to you and, and talk about that, those smaller projects that you pick up sometimes. So it, let's take the scenario, you know, maybe the prospect is a commercial baker, you know, or a big commercial bakery, and they're, you're trying to sell them on that, that sub 500 kilowatt project, but they might not want to make an investment that's not like part of their equipment or their trucks or things like that. How do you talk to them about thinking about making this large half million dollar investment for something that's not, you know, a truck or an asset that they use every day? Sure. I, I mean, I think our strategy initially is to see what appetite they have uh, for investing in, in renewables, um, either whether they're looking for uh, an opportunity in the space to install something or we're, we're pursuing them directly. Uh, for whatever reason. But depending upon that, there are some small third-party ownership options that we've been able to, to deploy, which goes more to family offices than, you know, larger scale institutions. Um, but the, the talk track has to be focused on the long-term value of their business, of their um, continued use of their facility, their condition of their facility. So roof, service level upgrades, what, what else it can be done there? And then ultimately, what else do you want to do? Do you want to do more than what we're doing at the same time? So if you're going to go out and get a loan and you want to go, you know, we're <laughs> talking to one golf course that wants to put canopies over their, their driving range. Okay, great. This is, we can include lighting. We can do new, you know, new, um, uh, you know, barriers in between, facilities uh, in their bays. And so, you know, what else can we do to help enhance your business, which is, is probably more tangible to what they do on a daily basis, which is selling a product, right? So, you know, in solar, it's mostly, you know, let's, let's get operating savings. Uh, but, but how can we translate that to more uh, to them, whether it is a consumer benefit that can be visible in their product packaging, or whether it is, is, is um, you know, a kiosk in their entry of their facility to highlight their, their engagement in renewable technology. So, you know, we're, we're looking at it more holistically of how we can better their overall business and come at it from that angle, because you're right, from, if, if I, in today's market, I may be more interested in buying a, a work truck because I can do one more project that's going to put dollars in my pocket today than waiting, you know, five years, six years, 10 years for, for a cash on cash return for one of these assets. But if you've got the right people you're talking to, not a facilities person, the management, the ownership of the business, um, you know, you need to go straight to those points quickly. Uh, otherwise, um, you know, it's a harder, much harder sell. Mm -hmm. I would also add in, yeah. Tom, your question said, you know, for a, for something you don't use every day in your business, power actually is something that all business owners use every day in their business. It's just not necessarily something they think about. And so drawing their attention to where they're spending their money today in an area that they're not thinking about in a way that they could save money in, in this cost that's not going away anytime, um, it, it would be something I would want to do. Great. I'm sold. Yep. Guillaume, you got your hand up. Yeah, no, I think what Brad is, is saying is extremely important because the first reaction the business owner will have is, well, 
you're asking me to put this investment on my balance sheet and I know nothing about it. And if there's an issue, um, I don't know how to deal with it. Right. So like, if you take the example of a baker, you, you have machineries or a fridge and they know what's going to yield in terms of, of revenue for them. But if you put a $300,000 solar system on the roof and it sits on the balance sheet and you have issues, what is an inverter and when it fails, what do I do? And why is my system going down? So that is an important point, right? What Brad was pointing out and how you solve that. The PPA would enable the, the business owner to, to not only not care that much about how it functions, but also not have to do the operation and maintenance of it, right? So if, if there is an issue, um, it's, it's contracted by someone else, right? And you don't mm-hmm. have to deal with that. And that's an important point. Great. Thanks, Guillaume. Um, unless there are any other comments on this topic, I'd like to switch and chat about Resi for a few minutes. When it comes to loans, uh, leases, PPAs, Rachel, let's let's start with you. What should co- solar contractors be thinking about wh- when deciding whether to sell with one of these different options? Loans, leases, PPAs. Yeah, I think the first thing to think about when they're evaluating their current model and whether they want to make a change is, are they happy with their close ratio? Because what the primary purpose of, of all of these products is to expand their addressable market and improve their close ratio so they can grow their business better and make their product available to more consumers. Um, the next thing I would think about is how much paperwork or admin, you know, administrative burden their team can handle because generally speaking, leases and PPAs are more um, demanding um, in terms of paperwork or virtual paperwork for installers. I also want Uh, installers to do an evaluation of what generates the most savings for the homeowners they serve and think about who they're targeting in in their marketing efforts Um, because different homeowners are going to derive different benefits from the different products you know do Mm. the homeowners have taxable um, income do they qualify for the itc Um, also like are the are their homeowners in their market likely to stay in their homes for the full loan or lease term or not because if not, they need to think about how easy it is to either prepay to pay down the loan uh, lease or PPA or to see how easy the transfer process is because not all, because products are definitely not created equal on that front. I would also have the, and I don't think this is something enough installers are thinking about, um, which ties to something Guillaume mentioned earlier, which is what are homeowners expecting from installers regarding operations and maintenance? Because most installers are not pricing their jobs to include operations and maintenance, but most homeowners do expect their installers to perform you know, operations and maintenance in the event of a critical failure. And so if the installer is not factoring in covering O&M for homeowners and their pricing, you know, what are they going to do if they're selling a product that doesn't include O&M or service um, you know, are they going to just eat the cost to avoid bad reviews? Are they going to offer an O&M service um, and set expectations with homeowners that it's something they're going to have to pay for if that's not included in the loan product that they're using? But these are all factors I think they should be thinking about. Mm-hmm. Greg, um, Brian, we'll come to you after after Greg here. Um, any thoughts to build off of what Rachel was talking about? You know, best products for the different types of homeowners, you know, fixed income, working family. What are your thoughts there? Yeah, I think the, what the finance space has done well over the last uh, three or four years is, has become more innovative. Um, you know, we, we are seeing kind of, I think, two tracks right now. Um, and, you know, one is innovation. Um, so things where the homeowners have, you know, options as to how much they want to pay and when, um, being able to bundle more services into a single loan, 
Um, I think we're also seeing, you know, in some cases, uh, finance providers um, providing, you know, as low as a half a point APR. Um, and so, you know, I think there's a solution that the, the market has for almost every homeowner situation. I think one of the things that we are trying to do a better job uh, as a segment in the residential space is not just helping salespeople understand how to qualify a homeowner for solar, but what are the right questions you can ask to make sure you've got a product that, that works for them. Um, and I think far too often we see somebody say, well, here's who we're partnered with and this is the product they told me to sell and, and, and here you go. And we see this all the time. Mm. Why do you offer a 20 year 599? Well, just that's what we know how to sell. That's just the one thing that we're familiar with and we're comfortable with. May or may not be in the best interest of, of the homeowner. Um, so, you know, how long are you be in your home? How often do you refinance your house? Um, you know, how often do you move? Uh, do you typically have a loan and, and, and take it on for, for the entirety? Now, what we know from our data and research is that most of our loans are paid off somewhere between five and six and a half years, right? Um, and so, therefore, we've had some products that we've been able to develop that have been rather successful uh, and responsive in the marketplace. But I think that ongoing endeavor of working with our contracting partners and working with their sales organizations to help them understand what questions they, they should be asking to make sure that they've got the right solution for the homeowner. That homeowner mm -hmm. might have that obligation for nine months. That homeowner might have the obligation for, for 25 years. So we want to make sure that the, uh, the approach and the solution is meeting their needs and demands. A good I, fit. Yeah. I thanks. I want to add, Greg, that I, I mean, this is just me looking in my crystal ball, which means anything I say is going to be proven wrong in a few years. <laughs> but if I was to look into the future, I would expect interest rates to be going up at the national level. And um, I think people are going to be refinancing their homes at lower rates during a period of high interest rates. So I think the early payments that we've been seeing because of so many homeowners refinancing to take advantage of the you know once in a lifetime low interest rates we've been seeing the last year plus, um, that's not going to last forever. Yeah, I'll, I'll touch on that briefly. It, it's it's a, a, a thinly veiled secret that that's a big part of, of Goodleads model is having other solutions for homeowners that allows them to pay their solar loans off faster, consolidate payments and actually save more money um, over time. We have been reluctant uh, to drive towards that one or that sub 1% APR rate simply for what you just mentioned. Um, at some point, if current trends in, in Washington continue, um, rates are going to have to go up. And what is the appetite for capital providers going to be to offer a loan at a rate that is actually lower than what they're borrowing the money for? There's levers they can pull, uh, obviously, with, with adjusting dealer fees. But we're keeping an eye on it. But that, that is the sentiment, is at some point, interest rates are going to have to increase. Um, and luckily... For most markets in the US, a 20-year 299 still offers savings day one, right? So I think we've become a little bit accustomed to these lower rates. I think people like them. They offer lower payments. It certainly drives better savings and better return. Um, but if rates do increase, I, I don't necessarily see a, a long-term downturn uh, in, in, in loan financing. Uh, I think it's just going to be a little bit of adjustment uh, for, for salespeople and EPCs to get their heads around that they're Unless we're going the other direction, I keep asking when Goodleap's going to offer the, the negative APR. We'll pay you every month to take one of our loans. Uh, we'll see if that trend comes. Awesome. Uh, Brian, you had your hand up briefly, and then Michelle. Yeah, we've, we've woven through a few topics. So I'm just going to go back quickly um, and just say that I, Rachel touched on exactly what I was going to say with uh, installers thinking about different options um, when it comes to the target market 
uh, knowing the demographics of the customers that you're operating, whatever market you're operating in would be huge um, for all the reasons we just talked about. So I just wanted to um, have that resonate. And secondly, I just wanted to point out too, uh, important to note whether leases and PPAs are actually allowed in the market that you operate in. Um, there's several states still where third party, third party ownership of residential solar is um, either explicitly illegal or it's a legal gray area um, because the um, the states have have decided that you know it's it would be infringing on utilities monopoly rights to sell electricity. So, just wanted to point that out. That might not actually be an option in uh, some of the markets that installers and contractors are operating in. Mm -hmm. And uh, I just to respond quickly to um, what what Greg mentioned about interest rates and how that impacts um, the the product suites that are available. Um, I, I do think you know there there is some sort of risk that we'll see a backlash against the uh, the lower APR products, but um, sales reps have grown very comfortable with selling those products. A lot of growth, as we were talking about here in Resi space, is attributable attributable to those products. Um, so it would be an adjustment period. I think uh, we'll we'll see some reluctance to to move away from those, but it ultimately will come down to you know very utility specific, very state specific market specific decisions on uh, where it might make sense to pull those products. So in a state like California, where the, you know, the, the cost of power is very high, you might not need that low interest rate products floating around to make the, the economics work for the project. And, you know, there's other states that are similar to that. Um, but, you know, where there have been markets that have been powered, their growth has been powered by these products where electricity prices are, are pretty low. Um, it might be tougher to, to pull those products off the shelf. So I would expect those products to broadly disappear, but they just might, um, it might be a little bit more selective in where they're used. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Greg, you want to jump in there quick? Yeah, I was, I was just going to respond to, to, to John's question about, you know, if, if these products are, uh, interest rates are going up, you know, do the dealer fees go up with them? And I think I'll, I'll try to keep this very brief. Um, again, where can we do better on the financing side? is explaining to people what program fees are, dealer fees, how they work, why they exist. Um, and, and, and very briefly, you know, those, those program fees are actually from the capital providers. It's a way basically to secure what is essentially an unsecured loan and, and de-risk that loan. If interest rates do, and I mean, when we say interest rates go up, right? Prime interest rates go up. Um, you're going to see maybe products that are available today that may not be available tomorrow, or as Brian said, might be selectively available. Uh, my anticipation is no, the, the, the dealer fees will not go up on that product, those products if the capital providers don't perceive there's any additional risk in continuing to put capital into this asset class. So a 25-year 199 inherently has a higher dealer fee than a 20-year 299 because the perception is it's a lower yield, it's a longer term, there's more likelihood or a greater likelihood that something could go sideways with that loan and the obligation is not made. I would argue that you would actually see um, finance providers convince capital providers to lower fees, right? As somewhat of an offset to make it a little bit more palatable should that 0.99 or that 149 rate not be available. Some will be more successful than others. And that's really where the capital market side of this comes in. But I think it's important to note that, you know, um, good leap, sunlight, dividend, mosaic, if, if rates go up, they don't make more money per se on those, on those products. Um, they're not going to increase their fees and make it more difficult for contractors to win business at the kitchen table based on what the financing solution might be. 
Um, anyway, I, I think that's unlikely to happen. I think actually you'd see the inverse as a way to offset potential lost business because of those lower rate products that are available today. Awesome. Thanks. Hope- yeah. Do you want to jump in real quick? Then I want to hop to Michelle. Oh, please hop to Michelle. Okay. Michelle, we, we just dove into the weeds and I think you want to pull back a little bit. I was just going to say earlier that I think one of the threads of a lot of this conversation, which I think is also important in commercial solar, is clear communication and transparency with the customer. Mm. I think one of the biggest, most difficult challenges with commercial customers in particular is you know, getting back to, they're not energy experts, they're not solar experts. So if they're going to be making this big investment, potentially putting a big loan on their balance sheet, they want to at least you know, have a, a, a general understanding of what, what the investment is, what the asset is. And I, I feel like that customer education gap is very tricky, very, uh, very challenging. And in the residential industry, the sort of other impacts of having, I think, a, clo- a more closed at customer education gap is you have better customer satisfaction, higher close rates, um, it's a higher referral rates, et cetera, et cetera. So this is really a, an area that I think the solar industry could, could improve on. Mm, great. Rachel, what, what were you going to say? I was just going to add, um, I think as time goes on, there's going to be more performance data available showing that uh, repayment rates are really solid because this is not homeowners um, you know, going out and buying a second house or a third or fourth car, getting a, a, getting a boat. Um, this is bill replacement. And so repayment rates in the solar industry, the solar industry has always expected repayment rates to be really solid on these products. And the more time goes on where these products exist longer, the more data we have available. And the more data we have available, the more we can make the case to capital markets that we can reduce how much uh, they need money they need to set aside to kind of protect against losses. Awesome. Thank you all for those thoughts on the residential side. I want to pivot briefly back to commercial as we start to wrap up the show. Um, And Brad, I'd like to go to you. So as a commercial solar contractor, you know, are there instances where a project's financing has just clicked into place, you know, and if so, did you have clear takeaways from that? You're smiling already. Um, But I I saw this question. I started laughing. Okay. I was like, I I wish this Mm -hmm. were to happen uh, in the the hundreds of deals uh, we have done, maybe mm-hmm. even more than that, uh, over a thousand in my career, um, it never goes smoothly. Uh, sometimes are smoother than others, but it's it's never uh, walk up to the counter, fill out the documents, get it processed, and we're done. Right? Okay. I, I think I think that that's an inherent challenge of third party ownership because you have a new entrant into the customer flow uh, and rapport. And so when we bring someone to the table that wasn't there day one, doesn't have the relationship with the client, that we aren't fully abreast if they're new to us, their process and the nuances of their process, because it, it, it really varies between financier, what level they want to get involved with, uh, whether they would like to be at the table you know, during site evaluation, or they'd like to be at the table not until we get to a PPA document after a term sheet happens. So there isn't one, there isn't a, 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 a kind of a systematic process that, that anybody follows. And I think what the financiers have been trying to do are the major leading ones, that we work with is to make it more process oriented, to make it standardized. And I definitely think that that's, that's great. We just haven't seen it go 
perfect or smooth um, in any of our, our, our transactions historically. Um, but, but I think that the market is growing up and evolving from understanding, okay, now we need to go talk to this third party. And, and that does go a lot to a prior comment about um, you know, disclosure and, 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 and detailing to the client what the steps in the process are to get to a system at the end of the day. Because ultimately that customer is going to be living with that provider, just like they'd live with the utility for whatever term of agreement there is. And so you've got to have that relationship develop over the course of the transaction, or it will not be a healthy relationship long-term. And we try to go for repeat clients. So we don't want to be switching financiers on their next project and their next project. So um, yeah, I, I think that there are some instances it is getting better, Tom, but I, it's in no way perfect. Okay. The Michelle, Yeah. Yeah, ahead. I'll just add quickly, the lack of standardization in commercial solar is very challenging. Um, every deal has like specific, you know, unique characteristics for financing, for customer acquisition, for sometimes the actual, you know, technology or, or project design itself. Um, it, it definitely makes it, it a tougher business. And you can see that in the numbers. There's just a lot less megawatts of small and commercial, small and medium commercial solar installed today. Mm hmm I want to do one more commercial question and then bounce to Resi again. Maybe I'll, I'll toss this one to you again, Brad, but quick rule of thumb, you know, for installers to quickly know if a system is going to pencil, you know, do you have, are there common criteria you look for? What should they be thinking about? Sure. I, I think age of business, age of roof, um, utility rate base, uh, as far as, you know, the attractiveness of that, um, uh, I would also say that, uh, you know, you want to find out quickly, as I mentioned earlier, their appetite for third-party financing or putting, putting down on their balance sheet. Um, those are things that you need to identify quickly and obviously available space uh, because the transactional cost is high. The duration of time it takes to get from start to finish is long. And so you want to make sure you're maximizing your dollars. To go back to an earlier point, there is a huge void. I mean, an absolute void in small commercial opportunity that is um, just sitting out there for someone to go solve. I mm. would love to see some of these larger funds blend in a portion, $100 million, $200 million, $500 million, whatever it is, to support that market on a simplified basis. Because I think we've gotten to the point of, of at least, as, as Rachel mentioned, statistical data showing that people will pay their utility bill. And this is something that they're already spending money on. So if they understand it and the O&M is being performed and the relationship is good, there are many, many, many examples of, of, of parts of that industry as far as size that pay really well. And typically the returns are better it's just the transaction cost. Everybody says, well, you know, it's half a million dollars to diligence a deal. So I only go two megawatts and up or whatever it is, their criteria for the fund. I'd love to see more in that because that would pull a lot of the residential players long-term, not short-term because everybody's too busy right now, but long-term into filling that gap as the market moves up and down and, and to kind of spread out uh, spread out the cycle of development because these things don't get built like a residential system. We can't install this stuff in 30 days. It's going to take six months, eight months on average. And again, if you pull in a third party, it's going to take longer, right? Because mm -hmm. you're just adding a layer of complexity into the transaction. Awesome. Um, one more on the commercial financing. Uh, 
Michelle, you, you pinged me last week about this, and I think it was a great topic, but on the topic of policy and incentives, um, what program characteristics are the most helpful for financiers and developers and, and why? Yeah, this is kind of related to some of those things Brad was just mentioning about how you determine what projects will pencil. And I think one of the components of that is a stable policy environment, or at least being aware of whether or not you will get qualified for an incentive or get an allocation in an incentive um, in some of the various like big state programs um, across the country. If, um, if policymakers are, are kind of maybe part of the audience, or if some of you want to advocate to policymakers. Um, there's what we see a lot is boom and bust cycles in commercial solar. If there is uncertainty in any kind of policy um, that, you know, whether or not it, it will be capped at a certain level, whether or not it will be, you know, when it will close, when all the allocations will be filled, um, anything like that is really unhealthy for the commercial solar sector, at least in terms of more stable development activity. Mm. So, um, and there's also all kinds of other things you can throw in there, like citing restrictions and um, sort of county level rules on on permitting or whatnot. Not to say that you you don't want to have some smart citing when it comes to solar projects, but there are a number of states where the rules are just onerous, and so that increases some of those uh, transaction costs, increase the cost, increases the cost of permitting, makes projects more expensive. And then, you know, as we've been talking about, it just makes less projects viable, which is why so many investors and capital providers will only look at two megawatts and above. Um, so, so those are sort of some of the, some of the things that, that I think about as well that are impacting this, this sector. We got an audience question and it's it's related. The audience question is from Kurt and he asks, is hard enough for sub 500 KW clients to finance any guidance from nonprofits? Um, that is a tricky question. I was actually thinking when Brad was talking earlier about um, some of these, some of these businesses uh, taking out loans, getting bank financing for some of these projects, sort of obvious segment of customers that is sort of left out, I think, by that type of thing is is nonprofits because not that not that you couldn't make it for make it work for some customers, but the obvious impact of uh, direct ownership is that you give up the tax credit, um, which which today is really sort of a, a linchpin into making the economics for a commercial solar project work. Mm. Um, I I think the only sort of um, uh, thing I can I can provide here is if you have a large space as a nonprofit where you can maybe provide those higher transactions um, for some of these capital providers, maybe towards several hundred kilowatts instead of you know 250 and and less, you're probably uh, a little bit more able to to attract some some PPA financing and you know get the get the tax credit flow through to that PPA. Um, but man, it's uh, it's very tough. I am actually just coincidentally I'm working with um, the the diocese that my church is in to to try and get solar installed on a lot of churches, which mm. are small small projects, stuff that's like under 100 kilowatts. And uh, we've gone down a couple different paths, and it's it's not great. There there's just like not a ton of options for us, um, mm -hmm. either that that work economically or that involve taking advantage of the tax credit. So 
So it's tough. There are definitely more financing solutions that could be that could be provided in this space. Awesome. As as we start to wrap up here, um, we've got about seven minutes left. I, I'd like to ask Brian uh, something you brought up last week on the residential side was around reamortization of solar loans uh, in relation to the ITC. Why should this be something uh, to put on solar contractors' minds now? Sure. So I think as as most contractors that are using some sort of uh, loan financing might know. Um, the, the vast majority of, of residential solar loans are structured to build in a, a prepayment taking into consideration when the homeowner claims the, uh, the tax credit at the end of tax season, putting that credit actually towards the balance of the loan. Um, if they don't do this, then their monthly payment will go up by a certain amount. Um, and when I first started in this space, uh, the assumption that I had was that, of course, most homeowners would do this um, because it just makes sense that they're being sold uh, a certain rate monthly rate and they would want to keep that rate the same throughout the duration of their loan. Um, what we're finding though, increasingly through conversations with the industry is that that isn't necessarily always happening. Um, and um, it's, it's fine if, if that's the clear communication and the homeowner knows that's happening and they're fine with it because some folks do want to take the tax credit and use it to pay down on their debt or they, they use it to make a big purchase that they, they've been saving up for. And that's all fine. Um, where the, the trouble lies is if the homeowners aren't necessarily aware that their monthly payment will increase because they don't make this prepayment. Um, and so what we've, we've been hearing is that there's just a bit of a gap in communication um, around the time that they need to make this payment. Um, of course, the, the language is all there and the loan documentation and from what I understand, most sales reps are including this in their pitch that you know this is something that will be happening. Um, but the time from the sales pitch to install to you getting the tax credit can be over much over a year. Um, so it's easy to forget, especially with all the things that go on with a solar installation. Um, so what you've identified is that I think there's a room room for installers and financiers to kind of partner up and make sure that. Uh, consumers are, are aware that this will happen and, and be reminded of, uh, you know, the ramifications of either applying the, the, the credit to your loan balance or not. Awesome. Great note. Um, any final thoughts before I wrap up here? Yeah, I, I don't see any hands uh, shooting up. So Guillaume, yeah, hand shot up. Uh, both the virtual one and, and the real one. Yeah. Um, I think um, I wanted to ask maybe Brad or, or Michelle that are plugged in in the commercial side, is there a, a platform that exists where there is some sort of a matchmaking happening between all the PPA providers and all the various conditions that each may have that are different from one another and uh, customers or or business owners looking for those PPAs and trying to trying to find the right one that their businesses will qualify for. Is there such a platform that plays matchmakers? Michelle, if you want to go first, I, I haven't seen one. I don't think it's quite what you're describing, Guillaume, but one of the companies who has been around in this area for a while is Open Energy Group. Um, they They have a platform where they connect it's not, again, it's not quite the same, but asset owners and project developers. And oftentimes a big component of that is the financing. So, and they have a, they have an online marketplace. Uh, people can, you know, developers can put their project portfolios up into the, uh, into the platform. What's, 
nice about it is that one of the things they're trying to achieve is some standardization. Um, so you can compare across different projects and across developers, and then presumably those can be matched with um, asset owners and you can do things like enter into bidding processes. Um, but uh, but they're they're a great uh, a great company and if uh, if anybody wants to sort of learn more about them I'm sure they would be more than happy to have the reach out. And, and maybe I'll make one one follow up comment to that just for the general industry that may be listening to this is that what 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 is good for a company in the EPC space for commercial is a healthy two way relationship with financiers. Many financiers are out there developing their own projects as well, and they need good regional players to fulfill those construction services. And so, you know, I've seen it more where you would have an RFP for building uh, XYZ commercial system in Sacramento um, than a platform that brings financiers together to then bid on, you know, your PPA needs. So in developing your PPA strategy, third-party ownership strategy, definitely come at it from that approach that we are here to bring you opportunity, but we're also here to, to assist you in this market because concentration is important to financiers. They want to be able to look at these assets long-term and be able to have a lower cost of service, which means, you know, they don't want to have a one-off in a, in one random location. They want to have multiple sites. So, um, you know, there are developers out there that aren't contractors and there are financiers that do develop. So, you know, that leads for construction service opportunity. And that's a good healthy balance for any business in the construction world to have uh, opportunities coming in from both directions. Yeah. Repeat, repeat business is definitely a, a common, you know, thing people try to try to achieve. Awesome. Well, that's all we have the time for today. I'd really like to thank all of our guests for sharing, you know, uh, their thoughts on such a, a broad range of topics. But we had Brian White. He's a solar analyst at uh, McKenzie, uh, Wood McKenzie Power Renewables. We have Michelle Davies, also from WoodMac, principal analyst. Thanks for coming. Greg Fisher, senior director of business development at Goodleap. Great to have you back. Uh, Rachel Shapiro, Director of Finance here at Baywa RE Solar Systems. Guillaume Casanova, also Director of Commercial Solutions at Baywa RE Solar Systems. And the first time, Brad Farrell, great to have you, CEO of Once Enable Energy, now part of Baywa. Thanks everybody for coming. Uh, really appreciate your time and we'll see you next time. <laughs>